welcome a listener to another episode of Bite-Sized Virtue. This is episode 2 of season 16. I guess I'm not going to keep to my hoped-for weekly uh, schedule, but that's okay. I think sometimes humility demands of us that, you know, we recognize our own limitations. So, with that in mind, let's jump right in and continue looking at St. Josemaria Escriva's Signs of an Evident Lack of Humility. So, because I do want to finish this by or around Easter time, I'm going to be covering two of the evident signs of a lack of humility this week. But it turns out that they're actually related. The second evident sign of a lack of humility, according to the good saint, is always wanting to get your own way. And the third sign in this list is arguing when you are not right, or when you are, insisting stubbornly or with bad manners. And like I say, these two things are, I think, kind of related. Because ultimately they are pretty much the same thing, right? If you are obstinate in maintaining a viewpoint, even if you're wrong in that viewpoint, but you're absolutely obstinate in maintaining it. And not just, you know, not just for the sake of, you know, it's one thing to hold a viewpoint even if you're wrong in it. We all do that, right? Some people think Ultima 9 is a terrible game. And they're wrong. But, you know, they do hold that view. And really, holding that view in and of itself is okay. And we can have that discussion, right? It's okay not to like things. Where it crosses a line is when we become insistent that our dislike of a thing or our enjoyment of a thing should be the natural and indeed only acceptable view that others adopt. Um, So, you know, obviously I'm being a little unhumble and also a little bit in jest when I say that, you know, you're absolutely wrong. If you think Ultima 9 is not a great game, I do enjoy it greatly, but I do recognize that people don't. And if you don't like it, that's fine. I do. And we can have a discussion about that, why we like the game, why we don't like the game. And we can actually have that discussion in good faith, and we can have that discussion in a very rational and intelligent way, as long as neither of us crosses the line into insisting that the other must necessarily adopt their view, or else, you know, be subject to ridicule, or be thought of as somehow less, or be thought of as somehow unworthy of common human decency and respect, etc., etc. Now, of course, it's easy to say that when we're just talking about something like a video game, which, I mean, we all love video games very, very much, and we all feel very passionately about them very, very much. But if we actually are able to be honest with ourselves, they're just video games. They don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. We're not going to have an existential crisis. Hopefully, we don't have an existential crisis if people don't like the video games that we like. If we do have an existential crisis because people don't like the video games that we like, there's probably some significant evaluations that need to happen there. I don't want to get into that necessarily, but you know, at the end of the day, if people don't like the same pixels on a screen that we do, there's really not a lot of harm that flows from that. Again, as long as, you know, they're not trying to impose that dislike on us, and we're not trying to impose that liking on them. Where it gets harder is when we move beyond just video games or movies, books, into the realm of things like politics, religion, hot button topics, <laughs> real life topics, if you will. And there's been a real trend I've noticed, especially in the last couple of years, of people just being utterly unwilling to hear anything, really, that challenges their views. Even being willing to, you know, write people off wholesale um, because they hold differing views. And sometimes the language of rights ends up in there, too. You know, it's like, well, you know, no, we can't just agree to disagree because this is a matter of fundamental human rights. 
And I mean, yes, there are a lot of issues in play these days that do touch on fundamental human rights. And people do have disagreements about the particulars of these issues. And it's actually a good thing to have those disagreements. And it's actually a good thing to hash out those disagreements because there is no such thing as a homogenous society. And so it's actually really important that, and, and I mean that in, in like in any general sense, right? People do not think the same, even people who, you know, I mean, again, me looking at it from a Catholic standpoint, right? There are people I go to church with who disagree with me about fundamental issues. And even though the Catholic church makes it actually really, really easy, they write it. It's all written down. You want to know what the Catholic quote unquote stance is on any particular thing. It's written down somewhere. You can find it out. And the choice you then make is, you know, well, do I, in my Catholic identity, conform myself to this view, even if I struggle to do so, or do I not? And there's different implications that flow from that. But, you know, coming back to my point there, even within something like a church, people who are all there ostensibly because they believe the same thing, there's disagreement, there's differences. And sometimes those need to be hashed out. They need to be hashed out locally within an individual parish. They need to be hashed out internationally. That's why the church has what it calls, you know, ecumenical councils and things like that, because there are legitimate debates that emerge all the time. Even among people who ostensibly believe the same thing, that do need to be sat down, reasoned out, hashed out, and a definitive answer figured out. And that's not just true of Catholics. It's not just true of religion. That's true in politics. That's true in a lot of other realms of real life. We're not, human beings are not homogenous. We're not, you know, an an amorphous blob that, you know, of just indistinct, (laughs) of indistinct identicality. We're not all the same person. We don't all think the same way. We don't all perceive the world in the same way. And we don't all have the same struggles within the world that we all inhabit. And so each of us is bringing something a little different to the table. And a lot of times, yeah, we can agree in many of the particulars, but it's rare that we're going to agree in every single one of them. And where those disagreements exist, it's actually really good that we're able to voice them. And it's really good that we're able to hash out the reasons why we have those disagreements. It's good to get to the bottom of why, what informs those differing views, because that's how you work through them. And that's how you come to some kind of resolution for them, right? If the existence of difference, and even if it's, even if it's something that, yeah, is not pleasant, even if it's something that, you know, does seem repugnant, the fact that people hold those differing views, like there's a reason why they do. And it's really, really important sometimes to be able to get to the bottom of that, both for our own understanding and also to help them realize why they think that way, because that's how they're going to change their mind, right? Like if, if someone is openly racist, I mean, they are that way for a reason, maybe for several reasons. And it's very, very easy to just write them off as, okay, well, you know, person's a racist, so let's, you know, make sure that they're never able to work again or feed themselves or anything like that, right? Cancel them, so to speak, in the uh, parlance of Twitter. That's one option. But it doesn't really address the problem. And in fact, it cements that person more deeply in the views they hold, right? Versus trying to, you know, at least dig a little bit into why they think that way. Because you can engage with an idea without ever agreeing with it. You can try and understand why a person thinks the way they do without having to share their thinking. And sometimes it's in that investigation that you can, you know, tease out ways to help move a person out of that thinking. This is a little bit off of 
topic, but it's, I mean, this is more around, I think, the third point, right? Arguing when you are not right or when you are insisting stubbornly or with bad manners. It's very, very easy to just go into these arguments with a complete lack of compassion for the other view. And I mean, again, there's a very natural inclination to do so because, yeah, sometimes the other view is really openly repugnant. How could we ever have compassion for that? Well, you can have compassion for it without agreeing with it. And that's the important thing to take away. It's also very easy in these disagreements to just be obstinate, to insist there's only one right way of thinking. There's only one right view to hold. And admittedly, sometimes maybe there is. We shouldn't be racist. But simply, you know, browbeating somebody about that is not a way to reach them. That's not really how anybody ever changes their mind. If you browbeat someone into thinking something, um, well, I mean, in other circumstances, we might call that brainwashing or torture. And that's not, you know, if that's the way you go about it, even if somebody does, you know, eventually succumb to the onslaught and profess a different view, how genuine is that? Probably not very. There's probably not been an actual change of heart there. There's just been an exhaustion. You've overwhelmed their barriers, but you haven't actually moved their heart. It's good to insist on the things. It's good to stand up for what is right. It's good to stand up for what is true. It's good to stand up for what is virtuous. It's just in the how we do it. And I think we also have to accept this coming back to the second point that we don't live in a homogenous world. We don't live in a perfect world. We don't live in a world where everything is always possible, at least not on the timelines we would prefer. And sometimes we just have to be willing to accept that, yeah, things are not going to work out for us the way we would like. I would love it if my GTX 960 could run Mass Effect Andromeda at full HD. It doesn't. <laughs> and in fact, that is probably one of the main reasons I've become more of a console gamer these years. After spending almost 40 years of my life basically swearing off ever being a console gamer, I am now a console gamer. <laughs> Sometimes we just don't, it just doesn't go the way we think that it's supposed to go. The gaming example is a trivial one, but it's true of many, many other things in our life. We can want things. It's good to want things. But even the things we want, we have to approach with a bit of detachment. We have to be able to, uh, and again, whether that's, you know, the opinions we hold that we earnestly hope others might also agree with us on, we still have to be able to approach that with a level of detachment, realize that sometimes people are just not going to come around to those opinions, at least not on the timeline we would want. We're just going to have to accept that sometimes the gaming hardware we have on hand is not going to be able to run the games that we want to play in the way that we would want them to play. We have to be fine with lower resolution or lower graphic settings, or just saying, you know what, I guess I'm just not going to play that game. I'm going to look at my backlog instead. We have to be fine with, I mean, right now my wife and I are in the middle of, you know, debating, should we buy a house? Should we renovate the house that we have? Um, cause you know, we do have four kids in a four bedroom house. It's a little tight. Do we need to add a fifth bedroom? Absolutely. Should we just, you know, but what would be the better choice? Move to another house that already has five bedrooms, renovate the house that we have to add a fifth bedroom. There's costs involved with both. Interest rates aren't great right now. Mortgages are not going to be great right now. Housing prices in my area are, mm, not as insane as in some places, but certainly a lot higher than in other places. All of these things. And at the end of the day, I, you know, what we've over the last month of looking at things, what we've come to realize is that mm, we're going to get things most of what, you know, we can get probably most of what we want, but we're not going to get everything exactly as we want. And if we really try and insist on that, we're going to get nothing. Sometimes we need to give a little to get most of what we hope for. Now, and this is, you know, where 
that whole unity of virtues concept that I sometimes talk about comes in because at the end of the day, you know, I mean, yeah, okay, compromise is a big part of this. You know, the, again, we're not all the same people and we have views that conflict and contradict and sooner or later we're going to have to, you know, work together to hash out some kind of compromise so that we can all live under the same roof, live in the same city, live in the same country. If we can't do that, that's only a recipe for strife. Obviously not, you know, compromises with actual rank evil like racism and some of the horrible things that it has spawned over the years. But in other matters, yeah, I got in an argument about 15 minute cities, walkable cities on Twitter. And it's like, well, you know, okay, fine. There's a lot of misunderstanding flying around about those right now. You know, but that that is an area where compromise can happen, right? Like, okay, fine. Like, maybe we can't compact every single thing into a 15-minute radius every single time. Maybe it's not always practical to incorporate all of these different considerations in every case, in every place. But are there elements of the walkable cities concept, the 15-minute cities concept, that can inform future suburb design, future neighborhood design? Sure, absolutely, right? And Again, you know, you, you sit down, you talk it out, you hash that out, you can come up with some kind of compromise understanding that is satisfactory to the largest possible number of people. It's never going to be 100%. That's the other thing that you need to accept. It's never going to be 100%. Nobody's ever going to like, nobody is, there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like Ultima 9. It's never going to be that that game enjoys 100% enjoyment, but that's true of any Ultima. But it's also about having compassion for the other person, because at the end of the day, the person that we're disagreeing with, the person that we're being obstinate with, is still a human being. And we still have to have compassion for the person. Even if we don't have agreement with their views, even if we find some of their views repugnant, we still are talking to another human being. They came from the same place as us. They're going to the same place as us. We are both just people. And yes, we can be correct and incorrect. We can hold repugnant views or not, but we're all still just people. And it has to be that element of compassion always in how we deal with other people. And again, compassion doesn't mean that we have to agree with a person. Compassion doesn't mean that we have to accept their views as our own. It just means that we don't have to dehumanize them, even as we're disagreeing with them. And it just means that as we disagree with them, we have to be mindful that we're not trying to impose a view on them that they don't come to hold organically. It's not that we can't try and change their mind, but we can't do it by force. Okay, that's enough for today. I'm already under the gun trying to get this thing edited and out the door, so wish me luck on that. We'll probably cover a couple more points about evident signs of a lack of humility in a couple of weeks' time. So until then, thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous. Be virtuous.